The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Welcome to episode 170 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, this week we have a fascinating new guest in Georgia author David H. Hanks. He is not only the author of four books to date, uh, riveting stories in the in the vein of Tom Clancy, but he is also a Nobel Peace Prize winner in the field of nuclear work, which we're going to be discussing all about. It's really incredible stuff. You're going to hear all about that here in a moment, along with a little bit about his time in the Navy, uh, his more than 40 years working in the nuclear field, using life experiences to write, uh, that he uses to write from, how he began as a technical writer, and how that has Uh, changed over time to now he's writing in fiction uh, with a first goal to entertain you and second goal to inform you because he uses these life experiences and uh, everything he's experienced in the nuclear world to bring forward in these exciting Carson Griffin uh, books that he writes and uh, let me tell you this sample chapter you're going to hear today is definitely exciting it's uh it's got some uh espionage some intrigue some a uh, little bit of action uh lots of uh, fun stuff going on lots of really exciting things going on in just a very short uh chapter in the in the book so you're gonna love it and it's all coming up here in just a few minutes so stay tuned for that hey i also want to remind you that uh, the show is available now on all podcast platforms so wherever it is you are checking us out i really appreciate that you're taking the time to download the episode and listen. I don't really ask a lot for uh, for ratings and reviews on podcast platforms, but if you do, that's great. I really do appreciate that. Uh, really, what I'd prefer that you did was to follow us on social media. Follow the show on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then uh, tell us about one of your favorite episodes. Share that episode with uh, with your people and tag us on that on that post and just let us know what your thoughts are Uh, that's how that's one of the things I really enjoy is hearing back from the listeners on uh, something that they're enjoying or something that they wanted more wanted to learn more about and uh, that's always that's always really fun so make sure you do that if you'd like to contact the show outside of social media you can do so at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146 and uh <laughs> you could be uh, you could hear that message coming up on an, on an upcoming episode all right so i do want to get us on over to our episode uh the interview with david h hanks here real quick but first i want to thank our sponsors starting with scrivener my favorite writing software and uh just so you know scrivener 3 is now available so check out this advertisement on how you could save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here, 
Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, thank you so much to Scrivener once again. Uh, Next up, I want to thank Audible. We have partnered with them to provide a free book and a free trial with the Audible service. So once again, here's another commercial for you to check out on how you can do that. Hello friends, Jason here, and I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle, Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. Once again, I want to thank Audible for uh, partnering with us and providing such a great service to our listeners. And uh, yeah, like I said in the commercial, it's a service that I use and it's one that I really enjoy. So check that out, everybody. Click the link in the show notes and hop on over and grab yourself a free book and a trial on Audible. I also want to thank uh, my podcast friends, starting with Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other shows. All of them pop culture related and uh, (laughs) anything in that pop culture genre that you have an interest for, you're going to find it there. So click that link in the show notes for Pop Goes the Culture and check out everything they have to offer. Last but not least, I want to thank Project Entertainment Network, home to about 35 other shows of an extremely wide variety. Shows about writing, about reading, about monsters, about opinions, 
just you know whatever whatever it is you're looking for it's probably there uh baseball <laughs> it's it, like i say it goes on and on and on uh check out this advertisement for one of those amazing shows and then click the link in the show notes for more every person's story has something to teach us how others view life how obstacles are overcome how joy is felt how fears are faced, how love is expressed. The Matters of Faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part. It may not be your story, but it may help shape yours. The Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn is on Project Entertainment Network. All right, there you have it. Another incredible show from Project Entertainment Network and uh, another one of those networks I'm very happy to be a part of. Well, hey, without further ado, everyone, it is time to hop on over to our interview with Nobel Peace Prize winner and incredible author, David H. Hanks. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. This week, I am speaking with Augusta, Georgia author David H. Hanks. David was counseled by his mother early in life, which helped guide him to a successful life as a nuclear engineer and senior reactor operator at one of the largest reactors built in the world. His experience led to further advancement, eventually an appointment by the Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency. His dedicated work and experience not only informs his writing that we get to enjoy today, but also earned him the Nobel Peace Prize. Welcome to the show, David H. Hanks. Hello, Jason. Thank you for inviting me to the Sample Chapter podcast. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. This is quite the thrill for me. Uh, you know, it's I just love getting these emails and hearing about authors, you know, that, that are being asked about uh, people asking, you know, hey, would you like to talk to this person? And of course, I saw this. I, first thing I do is I check out the books. I'm like, oh, this sounds exciting. And then I see, oh, Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, my gosh. I've never had a Nobel Peace Prize winner on the show. It's like, it's like, yeah, it was like a no-brainer. It's like, come on the show. So this is exciting for me. Yes, I was, uh, as you mentioned, I was working for the International Atomic Energy Agency as an uh, inspector, uh, traveling all over mostly Europe, European theater, uh, from 2002 to 2009. And the IAEA Secretariat was awarded the uh, Nobel Peace Prize for the work in nuclear nonproliferation, and uh, was a very uh, rewarding affirmation of the work we were doing uh, in nuclear nonproliferation. So I'm proud to have one of the certificates from that and be a recipient. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh, that's such amazing work. Now, how, how do you get involved in something like that? I mean, that that's... I don't know for myself, like I remember growing up in the, uh, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. I was always imagining like, I'm going to grow up and, and probably be a soldier. Uh, I never expected to one day be an author. And how do you go into working in nuclear energy? Yeah. Um, it was an interesting uh, career path. I've been in nuclear energy and nuclear power and nonproliferation for about 43 years. I uh, left high school, joined the U S military, U S Navy. Uh, qualified as a reactor operator, served aboard the USS Nimitz, and then went to the utility uh, in Mississippi and got my senior reactor operator's license. For, t for 25 years there, I operated nuclear reactors. And then uh, after 9-11, like a lot of people, I thought about uh, using my 
uh, background and knowledge to do something more on the uh, non-proliferation side of, of of the world, of the nuclear world, I guess is, is the, the, the way to put it. And so I ap applied for the International Atomic Energy Agency and I was awarded a post by the Director General in 2002. And then uh, when I left the IAEA in 2009, I worked for the uh, Savannah River National Lab for a couple of years. And then the federal government picked me up and I began to work for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And I've been at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission now since 2011, uh, which is almost 10 years. Mm. Uh, it's 10 years. And um, <laughs> I work as an international safeguards analyst for the uh, non-proliferation, nuclear non-proliferation world. And that led me to writing books over the course of my career. It was a, a nice jump for me to be able to relax and sit back. And uh, as I was learning the non-proliferation world of uh, nuclear power, to take some of the uh, experiences I had in uh, inspecting uh, throughout Europe to uh, parlay those into uh, a thriller series. And that thriller mm -hmm. series is based on a lot of my travels in Europe and uh, around the world and um, include a lot of the places that I've been to. So they helped me to describe, you know, some of these uh, scenes a lot more in a lot more detail uh, than normal. So I was able to do that. Of course, from my background in nuclear energy, I put a lot of that into the uh, terrorist plots. Um, as you'll read uh, in the series. It's a three book series, as you mentioned, Power and Ore. Uh, Black Waters is the first book in the series. Power and Ore is the second book. And Euphrates Yields just came out and it's the third book in the series. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you've got, <laughs> you're basically building yourself uh, your own Tom Clancy-ish uh, kind of series, it sounds like. Were, were you always a reader? Is that uh, what got you interested in maybe writing your own? Yeah, I've, I've read a lot, uh, do a lot of uh, technical writing. I do a lot of uh, presentations, uh, international conferences. Uh, also, as a federal government employee, I work for the, like I said, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We do a lot of um, bilateral discussions with other nations uh, about international safeguards. And uh, of course, uh, routinely visit the International Atomic Energy Agency headquarters in Vienna, Austria to talk about uh, implementation of safeguards in the US. Um, but yeah, it's been a very interesting career to say the least. <laughs> like you said, you did a lot of technical writing. Um, was, was it the technical writing that maybe brought up the desire to make this fiction so you could kind of explore it some more? Yes. Um, my first goal is to entertain, you know, with this. I, I do a lot of technical writing that requires a lot of research and uh, it has peer reviews and, um, uh, you know, official reviews of every word and dot and comma that I have. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to have something a little more relaxing that I could expand my, you know, my uh, creativity, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, in writing this thriller series. So I uh, began writing it. Actually, what got me into writing was my first book uh, called The Disappearance, which described a lot of my life early on. My mother disappeared when I was 13 years old um, and her remains were not found for eight years. So we, for eight years there, we didn't know what had happened to her. And during that time, I you know, tried to 
you know, being 13 years old, start just jotting down things. And over the years, I had uh, accumulated a, a huge manuscript that I thought maybe a book one day and uh, would be a chance for me to show my children, my grandchildren, what my mother was really like. It was an, an attribute to my mother, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, of course, when we won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005, my wife said, you know, you need to finish that book. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I, I really do. And I found a, a, a lady in Atlanta that uh, mentored me through writing and helped me to, she worked with me a couple of years and trying to craft that manuscript into a book. And I learned a lot from her. Mm-hmm. Her name was Ann Fisher. And uh, after I finished The Disappearance and it was published and uh, started doing a lot of book signings and things for that book, uh, I had some extra time on my hands. I thought, well, here's a good chance for me to just keep writing and get into this nuclear thriller ser- series. So Black Waters was actually published in 2007. And then I just kept moving on from there. Okay. Yeah. And your main character, Carson Griffin. Now, where where does he come from? How does he how did he come to uh, to life? Uh, good question. Um, actually, the name is my mother's maiden name, Griffin, oh. and Carson uh, is my grandson's first name. So I said, here's a good chance to put my grandchildren into a book. So all of my children and grandchildren are documented in my books. Is <laughs> one character or place or or time uh, or another. So that was how the name came about. It was just a co- accumulation of those two those two people, my mother and my grandson. Uh, I have five grandchildren now. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, and three children. So I have a, we have a big family and big uh, reunions uh, on Christmas. But um, yeah, the, 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 the basis behind the character is really rooted in my time at the International Atomic Energy Agency. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, in a fictitious organization I call the International Nuclear Weapons Association, or agency, sorry, International Nuclear Weapons Agency, INWA. And it's very similar to, in the beginning to the IAEA and it's a United Nations organization. And, you know, it, it kind of grows from there, but it's rooted in uh, some uh, basic uh, inspection um, uh, things that we did back when I was at the agency. And he's an, uh, an undercover operative with the group? Yeah, like I said, that's where the fiction begins. So we <laughs> <laughs> have a lot of uh, things that I added to this, uh, the ability of Carson Griffin to become a um, covert op, operative guy, uh, able to go out on his own, do you know some interesting things that, uh, of course, being an inspector, I didn't get to do. All of my... The International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors are announced, you know, when they do inspections and you're yeah. invited to these countries. And uh, it's, it's much different than what uh, Carson is doing, um, <laughs> but it makes it more uh, thrilling, I guess. I can imagine so. I imagine so. And, and I, I, would, uh, I would think that having a character like this based in the reality that was your life beforehand, it's probably a little freeing to expand on whatever creativity or you know maybe thoughts fleeting thoughts that went through your mind at times like oh you know somebody just turned this knob man what what might happen um i I can just imagine that kind of creative juices coming through your mind uh writing these stories did you have anything like that happen to you 
Sure. You know, as a uh, senior reactor operator and reactor operator for 25 years, we had a lot of uh, very interesting and abnormal things happen, you know, on the reactor side that, you know, had we not had mitigating um, circumstances that we were able to control these events, say the uh, terrorists took over the control room, for example, and stopped mm. us from mitigating these, uh, this accident from, you know, exploding into something that was spread radiation and contamination, you know, for miles mm -hmm. as happened in, uh, you know, Cherno Chernobyl, mm -hmm. then it would make a very interesting story, you know, to a lot of people. It's got a lot of technical stuff in it. It's not all technical, but it does have enough technical stuff to keep, you know, people that are uh, on the technical side of life uh, interested. Of course, yeah. the love story is in there too, as well. And his, his personal life is intertwined with his work. Um, and it's, it just was one of those things that I thought that, you know, this might be interesting if I went into this direction with this particular uh, terrorist attack. And uh, from there, it just kind of grew into the story. So, and you have uh, three books in this series so far. This is the, the Carson Griffin series, uh, Black Waters that we'll hear from today, the book that kicked it all off, Power and Ore. Uh, came out uh, about two years ago, and then uh, most recently, Euphrates Yield. Uh, this is uh, this is really great. Uh, how long do you plan on taking this, or or is the series over with uh, book three? Well, uh, I'm taking a little break after the third one, so I'm not sure if I'll pick it up again. Uh, I'm going to retire hopefully next year, so hopefully oh, I'll do more writing. Yeah, it's been at this point always uh, my writing's has happened after work or on the weekends mm -hmm. um so hopefully i'll have more time to do that so i may do that expand it a little more uh but most of these books i wanted to mention too are rooted in a you know real event for example euphrates yield i don't know if you remember that uh, there was a clandestine reactor that was being built in syria that was bombed by uh, Mossad, the israelis back oh. in 2005 seven time frame okay and um Power and ore is based on a real uh, natural occurring uranium mine that actually became a reactor. Um, well, there's enough concentration of uranium for that uh, uh, reactor to take place. And so each book is rooted in some real life uh, event uh, that has occurred. And then from there, I make the story and weave the our... Um, Carson Griffin as hero through the through the story. Okay, all right. So there's there's a very good chance that we're going to be seeing more of Carson Griffin uh, going forward. Then it sounds like I would say about a ninety percent chance. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance uh, for me personally, something I would be interested in, and I have not to not to put you under the gun here or anything. I I was in Tokyo uh, in twenty eleven during the, ah. uh, the earthquake so that's my uh, closest experience with any kind of anything nuclear uh which you know you you go outside the house and the first thing you do is check the weather channel which way are the winds blowing today and is that going to affect us or not uh any any thoughts of going to japan with carson uh good question yes um uh, pro probably or most likely i have visited japan now that I've been working for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission um, several times uh, in Tokyo and uh, around the area, uh, the Fukushima accident uh, and the three damaged reactors there are very good 
um, a basis for a, a thriller, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's still an ongoing recovery. You know, it's going to be many, many years. But the, the good thing about Fukushima was that there's, there was very little or no release of, of, you know, contaminants. Unlike Chernobyl, where the, you know, the, the roof blew off and the reactor exploded, mm-hmm. uh, the cores of the, the Fukushima reactors melted down and it was contained in the containment. So there's a lot of water being exchanged and removal of contaminants. But you know, nothing like the explosion in Chernobyl. Oh my gosh! Do you have any lessons that you're you're hoping to teach anybody or teach readers as they go through each book? Yeah, I, I believe that. Um, like I said earlier, my my primary goal is to entertain. Mm-hmm. My secondary goal is to inform or teach. So um, I do a lot of research uh, on these different technology are part aspects of the nuclear engineering technology and uh, places and people and things and background on these terrorist groups. Actually, this JTS, the Jihad uh, terrorist symbol is rooted into rooted into a uh, Turkish um, terrorist group uh, that, uh, you know, was trying to take over and re-establish the Ottoman Empire back in the late 1800s, 1900s. Um, and this Turkish group, you know, it failed, of course. <laughs> but uh, some of the names and the people I've pulled into my books are, were actually uh, in the news at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I use those characters uh, in, uh, of course, Eastern Europe and then I went over to uh, Turkey and Syria and Georgia, uh, the country of Georgia, and um, took those characters and their uh, splinters from the main terrorist group. And just, you know, the, the story evolves throughout the three book series mm-hmm. based on that. Okay. I, I know you're, uh, you're, you're basing a lot of this based on your experiences throughout. Um, how much let me see how to, how to word this question here. I just came up with it in your experience uh, when you were working with it. And I mean, you're still working with it. How often uh, do you think um, fiction plays a part in preparation when it comes to nu- you know, guarding uh, nuclear reactors and such uh, or is that ever something that comes up it's like yeah I saw this movie and it's pretty outlandish but you know it got us thinking what if we took these steps to ensure something like that didn't happen I'm not sure if that question is making any sense or not sure I mean uh, to be able to mitigate a terrorist attack you have to have an imagination mm-hmm. similar to a terrorist to be able to stop that <laughs> Uh, so we think those scenarios out a lot, uh, especially when new technologies are coming out that, uh, uh, for example, the new uh, reactor series coming out, the small modular reactors that the U.S. is going to be exporting. Hopefully, uh, Russia is exporting. Uh, different countries are trying to build these SMRs, these small modular reactors, and take them to a non-nuclear weapon state. You know, there's five nuclear weapon states uh, that were brought into the non-proliferation treaty, the US, Russia, China, France, and the UK, those are grandfathered in. Of course, we have uh, nuclear weapons we know in India and Pakistan, 
and uh, we don't know, we cannot confirm or deny Israel's and uh, North Korea. Of course, we've seen detonations in North Korea as well. But those five nuclear weapon states are able to build and export nuclear energy to other non-nuclear weapon states that don't mm -hmm. have a nuclear weapon mm -hmm. and, um, you know, work together to give them nuclear energy and, and allow them to use these atoms for peace, they call it. And um, this peaceful um, use of nuclear energy to make electricity helps provide their economy the, 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 the backing they need to grow. Well, when you move these SMRs, these new reactors, uh, into a position to be exported, they need to have nonproliferation uh, and security and safety evaluations in all three categories. They call it a 3S system. Mm. And um, to come up with the best scenarios, you got to have the best imagination. So you think, you try to think like um, uh, some infiltrating force that would be coming in and how you would stop that force from getting into the into the power plant and doing damage so yeah fiction is part of the scenario to to stop the, the threat of terrorism wow and now you get to help come up with some of those uh, on your own uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty remarkable <laughs> yeah yeah we do yeah it's pretty this this is a very interesting for me it's very interesting to be able to uh, use my imagination to try to come up with the scenarios that might be uh, reality. You know, if someone was on the extreme end of uh, some of these uh, scenarios in these books. So. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I want to say outstanding, but uh, that's more frightening really. Than <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I never take, uh, well, I know, you know, that my, I have a, top secret clearance so all my books are reviewed by the uh, cia before they're being published so <laughs> um they take those measures mm -hmm. to make sure that i'm not subconsciously publishing something that could give you know a secret away oh wow now does that uh do you get those uh are there black bars or red lines through that coming back very often where they go uh, <laughs> no no not that <laughs> does that happen very often <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> can I confirm or deny anything that <laughs> would be coming through? Um, I hear you. <laughs> I, I'll write, you know, I'll write on the safe side of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can use the key to me to writing is to bring the reader to the point of using his own imagination to mm -hmm. connect the dots, his or her own imagination to connect the dots. So um, bring them up to the, to the point of making that decision and let them do it. <laughs> well said well said <laughs> uh david where can people find and follow you uh i have a website uh www.davidhhanks all one word dot com uh i'm on facebook there's links on my website to facebook and um i think that's the best place to find me i, I, I give a lot of talks to schools you know, especially here in Georgia. I like to go out to high schools. I'm a board member of the Georgia Technology Students Association, which is um, has 15 to I think 17,000 kids in it now. Um, and I go out to these, to the different schools and to the um, statewide um, competitions and uh, try to make, you know, nuclear energy attractive to young kids that are looking for a career. 
you know, Georgia is the uh, only state right now with new construction of nuclear power plants in the, in the U.S. Plant Vogel has two nuclear power plants going in right now that uh, is only about 25 miles from my home here in Augusta. So uh, I like to, you know, promote nuclear energy to the young people and, uh, and to our, our state. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess to add to that, that's something I have learned is that it's, it's true that that's the, one of the safest forms of energy that we have in spite of its incredible power uh, of what it could do in the wrong hands, but it's also the safest thing. Is that, is that correct? I believe it is. Uh, you know, the nuclear energy is, like you said, very powerful, the most powerful machine we've built, I guess, you know, I guess the space shuttles are pretty powerful, but uh, nuclear reactor, the, you know, that can generate 3,865 megawatts of power uh, is is a very powerful machine. Uh, it can produce enough electricity to power, you know, several states of the United States. Um, but yeah, I think that being the leader in nuclear energy, the U.S. has uh, about 100 nuclear power plants across the nation, uh, three fuel fabrication plants, one uranium enrichment plant. Uh, research reactors in several uh, universities and institutions around the country, um, and many Department of Energy laboratories that do research and promotions of these new technologies in nuclear energy. So it's um, it is a safe industry. We've had you know uh, the Chernobyl accident, the Fukushima accident, Three Mile Island, of course. Um, but compared to the amount of energy that's been produced, it's it's very safe. Fantastic. Uh, well, you know, uh, everybody listening, make sure you uh, go check out down below. We're going to have the links uh, added in there at the bottom of the episode. So you can click in there to David's website. While you're on his website, you've got to click on that uh, trailer, the book trailer for his series, the Carson Griffin series. I've checked it out. Uh, actually, I've watched it twice now myself, and it's fantastic. His daughter put that together, and you're going to love it. Uh, check out all the, the entire series of Gris, uh, Carson Griffin. Uh, Blackwater's Power and Ore, and then, of course, the most recent one, Euphrates Yield. And, you know, and then don't forget to go back and check out his first book, The Disappearance, which uh, seems very endearing and uh, seems like a lovely book itself. So uh, all those links will be in the show notes and uh, check it all out. Uh, Mr. Hanks, thank you so much for your time and uh, coming on here today. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to picking up some of these books for myself and uh, following along with uh, Carson Griffin in the future. Thank you, Jason, for having me. I really enjoyed it. I did as well. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my time to step aside with my coffee and cigar and enjoy this sample chapter from our guest, David H. Hanks with Blackwaters, book one of the Carson Griffin series. Chapter two, Carson Griffin walked into the Red Line Cafe wearing a navy blazer, jeans, and sporting a new pair of climbing boots that he recently wore on a mission for INWA the International Nuclear Weapons Agency, based in Vienna. He located his table near the stage and ordered a cognac in German from a pretty waitress who nodded at him in recognition. Carson smiled back. The cafe was established in 1876 and had been frequently frequented by so many smokers over the years that the ceiling and walls had been darkened by a constant deposit of cigarette tar. A Baroque melody played softly over a old German sound system, Bach or Beethoven. No, it was Mozart, Carson realized. 
Carson felt comfortable in the room full of international travelers. He noticed some sitting at a table near the rear of the espresso bar who were probably Turkish. He was accustomed to distinguishing different nationalities in this particular cafe, especially patrons who spoke the native language within the earshot. Moreover, it was a typical hangout for the Turks who were in Vienna from time to time on oil trading business with OPEC. Their home office was located in a five-story glass metallic building just across a canal from the Stephansplatz Cathedral. Carson nodded toward the youngest of, the th of a group of three men. The young man got up and walked over to Carson. Long time no see, my friend, the young man said. Carson smiled and nodded. Yes, you look as swift as the first time we met, Hadi. Hadi Iram scanned the room and quickly turned back to Carson. I have something that may be of interest. Politically tied to the reigning government in Turkey by marriage, Hadir was no doubt ready to leak some underhanded transaction that his government wanted to accuse their weaker rivals of committing. Hadir's backers had opponents that were being supported by a terrorist cell, which the INWA had not yet identified. Carson slowly raised his arm and removed his jacket, then laid it over the one corner of the rectangular dark oak table that had a glossy shellac finish. Hadier slipped a large manila envelope underneath Carson's jacket and left the table. Carson noticed that Hadier looked relieved to have just passed off what he claimed to be important information to an international nuclear inspector. Carson picked up his jacket, taking the envelope from the table and slipping it into the back of his jeans as he put on his blazer. Leaving the Red Line Cafe without touching his drink, Carson made his way to a crowded taxi stand about a block away. The late model Mercedes smelled of shoe polish and stale cheese. Carson was always careful to be aware of his surroundings. Whenever he traveled, he continuously scanned the area for a tail or camera, all part of the agency's special training. Ten blocks from his pickup, Carson got out of his taxi and made his way to the underground subway. It was near midnight, and very few people were riding one of the last trains that night. Carson found a seat in the rear of the fourth subway car. German graffiti was sloppily drawn on the wall below a neon sign that flickered brightly, U1 Leopoldau. One of Vienna's six underground U-Bahns, the U1 was deserted except for one drunken passenger sitting near the front of Carson's car. Carson opened the envelope and began to study eight sheets of A4 paper, copies of some kind of blueprint. A moment later, Carson understood what he was looking at. Hattier had turned over a diagram of a medium-sized research reactor that was positioned inside some kind of makeshift deep water cooling pool. The nuclear reactor was too small to produce electrical power and was definitely not going to be used for any gamma or neutron radiation experiments. Its design was more for producing a lot of nuclear power quickly, resulting in the production of a mass quantity of weapons-grade plutonium. The train stopped and a man and a woman, both in their early 30s, got on board. The man sat two rows behind Carson and the woman directly across from him in a pair of facing seats. Putting the document slowly back into his brownish sleeve, Carson stood up, ready to get off at the next stop. The woman got up from her seat and stood too close to him. Guten Abend, or good evening. She smiled provocatively at Carson, who had no interest in talking to her. His mind was filled with thoughts of a clandestine plutonium generating nuclear reactor that may or may not be real. The reactor could be used to make enough weapons-grade plutonium for at least one bomb, should the right scientist get his or her hands on the drawings. He held the envelope high under his right arm, gripping it tightly. 
Guten Abend, Carson replied politely. Do you speak English? The woman asked. I do, Carson said, glancing down at his wedding ring. But my wife doesn't like me talking to strange women. We don't have to be strangers, the woman said. The train began to slow down, preparing to stop at the next station. Carson moved to the door as the man came close enough to step in front of him. Should he make a move toward the pneumatically operated sliding doors? Carson was now certain that his newly discovered documents were in danger of being pinched. Grabbing Carson's rear end with her right hand in order to distract him from her accomplice, the woman stepped forward. The man was also reached out to grab Carson, but realizing what was happening, Carson began to spin away. Ignoring the woman's tight grip on his right buttock, he spun to his right and backwards far enough to get out of the man's reach. He learned the spin-off and hit move while playing football in college. It was his favorite one to get away from defensive end position into the backfield and maybe sack a preoccupied quarterback. Lunging forward while crouching down, Carson plowed into the man's kidneys with his left shoulder, putting him down on the ground with one quick tackle. Then with his boot, he held the man's neck to the floor of the Ubon car while twisting his arm into a position of great pain. The train came to a stop before Carson could finish his assault and the woman pulled out a small pistol from her black leather trousers pocket. I thought that we would be friends, the woman said. Well, I'll let my friend go. You win, take it, Carson said, releasing his grip and picking up the envelope from the sticky train floor behind him. Will you send me a postcard? I'm not going to kill you tonight, Mr. Griffin, the woman said. Just make sure you know that I could have. She reached out and took the envelope from Carson's extended left hand, keeping one eye on Carson. She looked inside the envelope to make sure it actually held the documents she was sent to recover. The woman then opened the pneumatic doors with a quick bump of her left hand on one of the handles. Let's go, she ordered her cohort. The man stood up, clutching his back in pain as he and the woman stepped off the train. The doors closed and Carson watched as the two got onto an escalator that would take them up to the ground level, away from any chance of Carson finding them in the future. He sat back down in the red padded seat, wondering who might want to use the information in that envelope. Carson had taken a mental picture of the drawing, but it had not been assigned a primer or legend to identify its place of origin. As a matter of fact, it looked much like a researcher's conceptual drawing and not really a reactor that anyone had ever built scene change. Carson drove his 1988 Mercedes 560 SL into Vienna International Center's underground car park the next morning, still mulling over the previous night's unfortunate incident. Carson's office at INWA was on the 20th floor of the Alpha building, and he took one of the building's elevators to his floor. As Carson walked toward his office, Todd Sinclair, his section head, intercepted him. How did it go last night? Carson followed Todd into his extremely modern office. Thanks to an overzealous Austrian decorator, Carson closed the door. Todd had worked his way up through the agency for 23 years, but still had problems adjusting to formal Austrian decor. He preferred his native Australian comfort. Todd, the Turks are looking to build some sort of prototype nuclear reactor, Carson said. Its core would be rather small, but powerful enough to produce a buttload of plutonium once started up. Did Hattier give you the evidence? Pouring himself a cup of coffee from Todd's old-fashioned percolator coffee pot, Carson hesitated for a moment. Yeah, Hattie came through all right. I took a rush look through the documents on the subway until my ride was interrupted by a pair of Turks. 
Even though I was able to pin the guy, the woman had me cold. Her cocked pistol pointed at my head. The pair took the envelope and left the train at the Carlsplatz station. I got a good look at the documents to decipher the drawings, and I can tell you that it was a, an impressively innovative design, possibly one of the most advanced I've seen for a one-time plutonium-producing pulse, heavy-water, moderated core. Todd trusted Carson's instincts. Who do you think is going to be building this plutonium generator? I'm not sure, Carson said. I believe it was a modified design of one of the Yugoslavian research reactors, one that Tito's scientists wanted to build before he pulled the rug out from under their funding. We can't bring your suspicions to the United Nations Security Council without validation. They're going to want hard evidence, Todd said. I want you to retrace your steps and see if you can find something more on this reactor design that we can use to establish what these guys are up to. I'll see what I can do. Carson took a last cup of coffee, threw the paper cup in a wastebasket, and turned to leave. Say hello to Christy for me, Todd said. Will do, thanks. Carson left Todd's office, wondering in what part of the world he would have to look to find more information on the reactor design and how to your stolen documents. His controlling circuit seemed to be very similar to a research reactor he had seen at an inspection just outside of Ljubljana, Slovenia, but it was not really the same. The differences were readily apparent to someone who had operated reactors for many years, as Carson had done before joining INWA. Walking down the corridor and into one of eight elevators to the agency's enormous library, Carson settled down to begin his research. If he could find something similar, he would give him at least one possible lead. At six o'clock, he called Christy to tell her that he'd have to stay late to finish some important work. The evening turned tonight, and before Carson finished reading his last theoretical nuclear reactor design, the summer sun broke through over the mountains east of the Vienna International Center. Driving along Strasse that morning to his home on the outskirts of Vienna to grab a shower, shave, and change his clothes, Carson knew he wasn't any closer to finding out where the reactor design had originated. He needed to find Hattier and question him, but that was virtually impossible. His informant had many retreats to hide in besides the Red Line Cafe. The trail turned very cold over the next few weeks. Then came even worse news. Carson saw on a Romanian news magazine website that Hatter had been killed in a horrific car accident near the Black Sea. But the truth about his death was that an order of assassination by the Turkish underground had been put out. Sharif had learned that there had been leaks to the agency by one of the opposition party informants and was given Hattier's name as one of the four possibilities. All were proficiently killed by a man Sharif called the Hunter. And that was David H. Hanks reading a sample chapter from book one of the Carson Griffin series, Black Waters. Uh, you know, like I said, that was a lot of intrigue, some espionage going on, a little bit of action, and definitely raises some questions that makes me want to go back and pick up the book myself. Uh, if that's got you intrigued as well, then click that link in the show notes for that book and more from David, as well as where to find and follow him. You can also find all of our sponsors and podcast friends down there in the show notes as well and don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when i am back with sa lelchuk that's coming up next week so till then everyone take care and i'll see you then this has been a presentation of the project entertainment network